Seven of That Anita Live TV. Edutainment to help you become emotionally whole, emotionally healed, and emotionally healthy. In this episode, I interview none other than the public speaking guru, the public speaking coach herself, who helps women get what they want from the boardroom to the bedroom. Coach A, Amber herself. And for those of you that know Amber, you know you are in for a treat. Nobody in the business helps you say what you mean and mean what you say the way Coach A does. Take a look. Coach A! <laughs> Thank you very much for agreeing to do this interview for That Any Live TV. Of course, anything. <laughs> we all love our Amber Wright. Oh, we love all you. love our Amber Wright. Everybody that I've interviewed so far when I mention Coach A, they know one, they know exactly who I'm talking about. And then two, <laughs> I don't even need to say the whole Amber or Amber, right? They already know exactly who I'm referring to. Like, yeah, we love Amber. So in the coaching world, know that your students, we love our coach and we're <laughs> We're so appreciative for the wordsmither that you are. <laughs> well, I tell you, it is my absolute pleasure to be your coach and to for people to see in me a gift that they feel can help them reach their goals. That that means everything to me. And that just to hear you say that just truly made my heart go a flutter because that that's amazing thank you for sharing <laughs> now talk to amber.com how did talk to amber come into being talk to amber was a thing long before the internet <laughs> because i've always been the advice giver amongst my friends i was the first of my friends to get married and so that was uh, a big thing when they'd be dating and talking about stuff they default to me and so typically when people have a question or a concern specifically about how to say something mm -hmm. they would say oh I need to talk to Amber and so they'd call me and be like I just have to talk to you Amber because whatever problem I'm having and that's how I that's why I decided to name my website as such because it's a thing to this day people are like I just got to talk to Amber and I'm like yeah come come talk to me <laughs> so <laughs> how did talk to Amber turn into a business well so talk to Amber became a business uh, I, I Blogging was my gateway into entrepreneurship, and I started my first blog in 2007. And I didn't know, though, at that time that you could earn a living, that you could make money through blogging. So I was like, well, well where they where they do that at? Where can I sign up? So uh, TalkToAmber.com was actually my third blog. I had a mommy blog in between, but I felt pigeonholed by that, and I didn't want to just be known as a mommy blogger. And I said, you know, I really want to start my own business. I want to be a coach. I love communication. It's what I enjoy doing. It's what people come to me most frequently for help with. And so I said, that's what I want to do. I'm going to be a communication and public speaking coach. And um, there it began. I had that idea in 2000, in the summer of 2012, and I launched the website January 1st, 2013. So the wordsmither, the communication coach, 
whether it be public speaking or relationships, because I know you just celebrated your 10-year wedding anniversary. <laughs> and you've got two beautiful girls yeah. that seem to have the same gift that their mommy does. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Even though the younger one, you know, she isn't stringing together sentences yet. It's all in her eyes. She... Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're getting ready. <laughs> She's going to have a lot to say. And the older one, just some of the, like when, with the tooth fairy, and you mentioned she came back and she was continuously asking questions, and then she asked questions from different angles. <laughs> you, see, you, have to, you have to have command of the English. <laughs> <laughs> You have to have a huge vocabulary to be able to ask the same question from different angles. That's five. <laughs> <laughs> Pray for me. I got my own head. My two girls. <laughs> and you just finished a month-long uh, Periscope theme, Facebook Live sessions, and a webinar on communication in marriage. I did. I did. And it was fantastic. Um, so starting the business, so starting this coaching practice mm -hmm. as a public speaking coach um, has served me really well. And that is something that I truly enjoy, enjoy doing. But I also find so much joy in helping people learn how to navigate their relationships and knowing how to talk to your partner. Because I, and even if it's not even just a romantic partner, but friends, coworkers, whomever, uh, it's my personal belief that the overall quality of your life is directly influenced by your ability to express yourself. And when you think about whether you, you had relationships that succeeded or failed, most often it had to do with communication, that's the pathway. So since that is what my gifting and my training, what I'm trained in, um, I wanted to, in, in honor of my 10-year wedding anniversary, I wanted to, you know, open up the door to have those types of conversations too with my Talk to Amber platform. And it went really well. We had a great time. <laughs> what is the most difficult topic under the umbrella of relationships, whether it be marriage or just dating, that you've had to help someone attempt to communicate? I would say most often it has to do with being able to say what you really feel. And by that, I mean when you've been hurt or someone does something to you that you don't like or you feel disrespected. Most people are not comfortable with the vulnerability that it takes to say, you know, you really hurt my feelings when you did this. And, or this is how this made me feel when you said this. No one likes to put themselves out there like that. And so they want to, fly off the handle, they're popping all off at the mouth, they're slamming doors and doing all these other things, which are just <laughs> symptoms of being able to say, I'm hurt right now, or I miss you right now. And we talked about this on the webinar that I did about marriage. It's like, you know, you're, you're fussing at your, your partner because he won't put his phone down. And you're like, why you don't put your phone down? You don't want to listen to me when really what you're trying to say is, honey, I miss you and I would like to spend time with you. Ooh, listen to how nice that sounds. Sounds so different, right? But people, <laughs> it's it's easier to have all of the theatrics than to really get down to the root of the issue, which is I really miss spending time with you. And can I get an hour of your time without our phones during the evening? Because then that puts us at risk to be rejected, and nobody likes to feel that way. So that is probably the most common thing that I find in this work 
is uh, teaching people how to embrace the vulnerability in order to get their desired outcome. Is there any topic that you would recommend that a wife keep to herself? Because, you know, back in the olden days, mm. there would be the kitchen table okay. with, you know, grandma and the aunties, and <laughs> they would have their conversation. And then maybe down in the basement or out in the garage yeah. would be uncles and dad, and they would have their conversation. Yeah, but sometimes things would hit the table or the garage floor that would never cross between the genders. Mm. However, now with uh, millennials and I don't know if the term correct term is metrosexuals, but there seems to be no line. Like when I attend events, men are in the kitchen, women are in the garage. It's just a mix of the genders and everybody is everywhere and yeah. there's no subject that seems to be off limits because there be here's a good example i had a friend at one time and she came up pregnant okay now her mom you know called her aunties and her grandma and they all met at one house one afternoon and okay. advised a way okay. to tell her father oh, okay and the men in the family okay. and they very specifically told her you know wait until the barbecue do not tell your father but what did Kimberly do she went home and two days later <laughs> she just blurted it out to her dad one afternoon and Needless to say, it did not go over well sure. at all. So do you see that still happening? Or do you think there's any topic that a wife should keep with the kitchen table and the girlfriends? Or Yes and no. Um, I think that there's such thing as time, place, and manner when it comes to you being able to share something with your partner. Um, I had to learn that as a wife. He don't need to know everything as I'm thinking it immediately <laughs> out my mouth. Like, I had to learn how to kind of filter through some things before I just let out everything that I was thinking. Because when you do that, and it's not about censoring yourself, but it's about filtering. So that way you are more mindful of what you are saying. So that way you get, again, the better response. So there's that. Um, I also feel though that if you have a real good group of girlfriends, it can be just only one other woman or two other people that you give them all of the angst and the anger and the frustration and the tears and you let them have it because they can handle that. Because that's what we do as women. We come together, we're gonna support each other and be like, girl, let me tell you and get all of that out. So that way when you get home, you're more clear about what your issue is and you can talk to your husband directly because men don't do well with all the emotion. My, my husband doesn't like to see me cry. So that doesn't stop me from crying if I have to, but I have realized over the years that it waters down, literally waters down my message. And when I'm really trying to convey something to him, it's hard for him to receive because all he wants me to do is stop crying. So it, again, it doesn't force me to deny how I feel 
but it makes me more mindful about the things that I say. Because you only have, men only have a certain barometer of space in their brains that can like receive information. So you don't have much time for whenever there's an issue, you gotta get to the point and then work back. <laughs> don't start with all the detail, then get to the point. And um, so do, do I think that you mean that you should keep things from your partner? No, and that's why I said no. I think that you really shouldn't keep secrets, mm -hmm. but if you have an outlet to where, you, you know, you're not bashing your husband. You're obviously you're talking to people who uh, care about you, who love you, and who want to see you both succeed as a right. couple who honor the institution of marriage, um, then, <laughs> you know, that can be beneficial in that regard. That's where those kitchen table conversations are, they come in handy. So that when you go home, you're like, you know, this is how I'm really feeling. And, and this is what I would like, you know, to share with you. And that print, that proves to be more effective. So men talking headlines and women talking details. Yes. <laughs> The, the next, or what seemed to be the hottest debate following your month-long celebration of your anniversary was, can married women have single friends? <laughs> I saw the scope where you said, can we please put this to rest? Can we please? Seriously. So what, what was the final outcome? What was the final? Well, and married women have single friends? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's contingencies. <laughs> and the contingencies are that if you are married and you have single friends, then again, like I just said a second ago, you want women in your life who love you, who want what's best for you, and who are honorable and trustworthy and um, who honor the institution of marriage. And by that, and when I say that, I mean that they're just not like, girl, divorce him, you know, the moment anytime there's a little bit of conflict. And so if you are fortunate enough to have people around you like that and they just happen to be single, that is a blessing because my single friends remind me of who I am as a person before I became a wife, before I became a mother. And sometimes you can get away from those, from that core, um, essence of who you are. And my single friends remind me of that. And my single friends, they have checked me over the years like, uh, girl, no, you're out of pocket with that. Like, you were out of line, or I don't agree, or I'm on my homicide, or whatever the case. And that has made me a better wife. And if you only feel that uh, you should be, um, uh, I guess, surrounded by married people, I just feel like that's not really fair. And I also feel that if we don't like mix the spaces to where single people can come in our presence and we're not just trying to hook them up with our other single friends all the time mm -hmm. and just really let them be a part of our lives, then that gives them an insight into what it really takes to make a marriage work. So then that way when it is their turn, they have a little bit more, you know, knowledge of a knowledge of their own knowledge base. And um, it's an easier, a smoother transition for them. But if you just exile and banish all your single friends and now you got a man, that's trifling to me. <laughs> but, and I don't think I saw this mentioned anywhere, but it goes both ways because just because someone gets married, that doesn't give them great character. Correct. And you can be around a married couple who is detrimental to your relationship as the same way that you can be around somebody that's single that could be detrimental to your relationship. So the, the other person's status doesn't matter. 
it's their character and their morals and their values that matter. Absolutely. And because some married people are the most bitter people you will ever meet. And it's like, girl, look, I can't help you. Like you mad and sad all the time. I, I don't, I don't identify with that. So uh, a lot of married people will also try to kind of, you know, poison your perception of marriage because they're projecting their problems onto you. So I think as a single person, you do also have to be mindful as well about who you choose to spend your time with. But you have to really hit the nail on the head. It just comes down to what kind of people do I want in my circle in general? I again, their marital status doesn't really matter to me. I well, it does matter because I feel like you do need to have a mix of people of single and married friends. But ultimately I just want good people on my team. Who want to see Amber succeed and who wants to see this whole situation I got going over here with this husband and these two kids flourish and prosper? <laughs> you ain't with that, then I don't know. We can't, we can't get it. <laughs> what's, what's the hardest thing Amber has ever had to communicate? Oh. Um, that's a really good question. Because communication comes so easy. Yes, it does. Um, I think the hardest thing I've ever had to communicate without me going into specifics, but it was um, telling my mother that she broke my heart. Mm. And uh, really having a full grasp of what that admonition would mean for my life and how that meant that I had to make some changes with how I interacted with her and how I engaged with her that really just changed the completely changed the climate of our relationship so to date that is one of the hardest things that I've really ever had to do which is how I know that communication has such an impact over the quality of your life because I've experienced it and um, yeah being able to, to, to have those conversations. I, I always say that life is full of difficult and delicious conversations and many times we only want the delicious ones. We don't want to confront the difficult ones, mm -hmm. but life becomes more delicious when we face the difficult ones. And so I had to really confront that difficult conversation. It was an ongoing conversation too for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we made it through it. You know, it's it, learning how to kind of accept my truth and stand in it and articulate it was very empowering for me. Because so. that's the question. What is the recipe for people that are currently living with heavy burdens of shame or guilt or they're carrying a secret that is a burden that their closest and nearest and dearest do not know? What is the recipe for them to be able to find their voice to communicate that? I think that that begins with the conversations that we have internally first. Um, I, I'm going to liken this to worship, for example. Um, I'm a Christian, team Jesus, and I feel that my, my, my attitude about my faith and about my relationship with God is figuratively, uh, you know, we carry all these things, but as an act of worship, you have to raise your hand. And so, when you lift your hands, your hands need to be empty. And you lifting your hands is a sign of saying, God, I need you to hold me. I bet that's how when you pick up a child, they raise their hands and you lift them up to be held and to be comforted, to be healed. And we can't do that if we're holding on to all of these things. So in one context, that could mean 
know, give what you're holding to God and let him deal with it. In another context, that could also mean you set yourself free and speak that truth, whatever it is, and say, this is what I have encountered or what I have experienced or endured, but it doesn't make me who I am. And doing that is what I feel releases the chains around your heart so that way you can find love again. Uh, but most times what people end up doing is they continue to wrap the chain around their heart until it's all the life is squeezed out of it and they're not even capable of loving anymore. And I don't feel like that's what God want for, wants for us. So in order to, to have that connection of being lifted up and held and healed, you've got to let some of those things go. And, uh, it, you know, there's truth shall set you free. And so why not embrace that freedom and understand that uh, your past is not a, um, a death sentence for your future. Who should they tell first? And what do you mean? When that uh, guilt story or that shame story, who is it that they should tell first? Is it always that they should expect to tell family first? Should they look in their inner circle and pick based on trust? You know, based on the, the fruit that the tree has bared. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that that determination is will vary by circumstance. And I think that that will have to do with who you have in your life. And if you have to list them out, who is the most trustworthy? Who, and not even that, who do you feel the most comfortable with being vulnerable with? And that might not be a family member. That might be a teacher at the university or a friend that you met, you know, in high school that you're still friends with. It, it may not necessarily be somebody that you're related to because your blood can, can, you know, can be the worst sometimes. And so um, I, I think it, it could be a therapist, a counselor, um, someone with whom they feel like they have a safe space with. I think that that's how I would frame that. If you are deciding how do I share my story or how do I talk to someone and let them know what I'm going through, um, it's someone who you do feel like you can trust and that you will allow yourself to be vulnerable with. Because also the caveat there is that you might feel like you can trust somebody and then they prove to be untrustworthy and tell all your business. So, um, <laughs> So then there's that too. And I think, you know, just really working at cultivating a space in your life where um, you can be completely free and be yourself and not feel at risk of being judged is the safest place to start. And that might come through a professional. It may not be through anybody that you know personally, and that's okay. Okay. So those are questions being the transcender in a, in a communication, you know, in a communication setting. Mm -hmm. Now, what about being the receiver? Mm -hmm. And where if somebody picks you as that person and the information is very shocking and hard to accept, but you're careful as to the response mm -hmm. that you want to show or give that person, how does someone choose their words wisely in order not to cause more harm? First of all, you asked really amazing questions, just for the record. <laughs> I, I had an amazing coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honey. Um, but my my response for that to that, and something that I do hope for many people, is that you learn how to be more empathetic. I think we have lost the art of empathy, and uh, being able to really say, 
I don't understand, but I'm gonna let my heart be a cushion for you right now. I may not have experienced what you have experienced, but I want you to know that you're not alone. And that I'm gonna grab your hand and we're gonna walk through this together if you want me on your journey with you. What that does, it takes you out of it. And why I think that, girl, you should do and woo, child, that can't, woo, that happened to me, I don't, no. Right. Right. <laughs> thinking about the other person because obviously they trust you and they come to you for a reason. And if you are at a complete loss for words, then say that too. But offer support. I am at a complete loss for words at what you just shared with me, but I thank you for saying that to me and for feeling like you can trust me. And I want you to know that you absolutely can trust me. And I'm going to be here with you to stand by you wherever this next step in your journey will take you. See, that just rolls off for you. <laughs> that just, it just comes out. <laughs> Everybody else would probably sit down with the Bible and a piece of paper and be like, okay. Wait, what'd she say? Yeah. <laughs> you mind and record that. I mean, you know, listen to that over and get your notebook and write it down. <laughs> you know, they sit there for two or three days trying to figure out how to respond. But Coach A, it's always on the one. <laughs> always on the one. We live in a very individualistic culture. Western culture is very individualistic. It's all about the self and focus on the individual. And so the problem with that, though, I feel uh, where there, where that can be detrimental is there's just too much focus on the self. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You can live the American dream. You can have whatever you want. You, you, you are by yourself. And that is not the case. And when we learn that we really do need each other and that we uh, should be willing to kind of be these vessels of light for other people, then I think we can have better conversations even around some of those very difficult and traumatic things that we tend to, that life does bring to people to the doorsteps of their lives. How, what recommendation would you give for somebody to, if they wanted to actually begin that journey and say, I would like to remove the center of my world, you know, from being myself yeah. to being others? Well, um, I don't know that that will ever happen because people who think that way don't see that to be necessary. That many people who are very narcissistic and self-centered, they think that that's normal. <laughs> so it's very hard. Most times it comes by some very difficult trial or experience that breaks them down and then allows them to see like, oh, oh, okay, I guess I was wrong. The whole world doesn't problem. <laughs> Um, but if you want to learn how to improve your interpersonal skills and learn how to just make better connections with people, I highly recommend the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I love Dale Carnegie. I love his work. And this book has been in print for well over 50 years. And it's a very basic guide to just having better people skills in general. It's, there's not a lot of critical thinking involved. It's just how to be a better person and how to make um, more genuine and authentic connections with people. And then I think that it's a, that's a, a entry level starting point for helping people to learn how to make better connections with people and to learn how to see outside of themselves. Okay, so those are adult conversations. Now let's look at parent-child conversations. Because a lot of the time, when children have difficult subjects, topics that they would like to discuss with their parents, the parent is do as I, say not as I do, yeah. 
or I did not ask you. <laughs> her opinion was, <laughs> you don't pay no bills in this house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where parents need to see more that they are actually developing small people. That are going to become adults I agree. that have to go out into the world, colleges, work environments, you know, whether they have to interface with, with authorities. Mm. How is it that a parent manages or balances encouraging communication, but not over, over <laughs> giving too much power to the child? <laughs> I mean, I was raised in that kind of household as they met as I do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there is some level of truth. children should be seen and not heard. And um, I also you know, have a Caribbean her heritage. So that's even twice. <laughs> uh, we get that on to the twice level. And as a parent myself, my approach to parenting is really taking that exact same approach that you just expressed and understanding that uh, I'm raising a person, an adult, <laughs> and I try to think about the type of person that I want her to be when she gets older. And none of that is ever really lost on me. And so we try to give her the space, my five-year-old me, I try to give her the space to learn how to make her own decisions mm -hmm. and to be confident in those decisions, but without pushing it, right? And that's a very delicate line to walk sometimes. Mm -hmm. But no, I'm not going to say this delicate because we're the parents and we are the ones that are always in control. And so what that looks like for us is I've stopped saying to her, stop asking so many questions so much, mm -hmm. right? She's very inquisitive, as children at that age are. Mm -hmm. Why I've eased up on that is that first of all, that was what my mom said to me. Um, and you kind of just repeat these things that you don't even realize right. until you're in that phase. And I realized, though, if as she gets older, say when she's 12, and some predator tries to kidnap her or to touch her inappropriately or just crosses a boundary that she's not comfortable with, I want her to be able to say, who are you? What are you doing? Why are you touching me? This is not okay. And that comes from training her up now to learn how to speak her mind and to say, mommy, what's this? Or why are we doing this? Or why are we going here? Most times when parents do that, it's because they feel like their children are inconveniencing them. They're infringing on your time to work or watch TV or to read or do whatever it is that you want to do. But that ain't their fault. So you have to learn how to, parenting is just one big inconvenience. After another, for the rest of your life, for the most part. So um, things like that and, and letting her pick out her own outfit for school sometimes. Um, so that way, again, she can feel confident in her decision-making skills. So then when she's now 17 and the kids in school want to go out and smoke weed behind the class, she can be like, uh, that's not something I'm comfortable with doing. I'm going to holler at y'all later. I'm going to go to the library. And so but we don't think that far ahead. We just think, well, I'm the parent, you're the child. And I still feel like that power dynamic can be established without um, being labeled a pushover and just letting your kids have their way with you. And then that just comes with time and with, you know, training, I guess, if you will. I don't know where you go to get that training. You can hire me. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's how we, that's how we like to do this. I remember one time... She came to us, and this is when she was four, so about a year or so ago. And she said, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really think I need to take a nap anymore. 
And my husband was like, oh, God, absolutely not. What are you talking about? Like, and I said, you know what? Let's hear her out. She seems very sure about this. So let's hear what she has to say. I said, babe, what, what, tell us. Why, why do you feel like you don't need to take a nap anymore? And she said, because when I lay down, I don't close my eyes because I'm not really tired. And sometimes I would rather help my teacher while the other kids sleep. She was able to fully articulate why she didn't feel like she needed a nap anymore. And I said, honey, we have to honor that. And so what we told her was, hey, well, mommy and daddy will have the ultimate decision, but you can say on the times that you don't feel like taking a nap, whether you want to or not. So then she understands, wow, I have the choice to say this now and that, but ultimately the decision lies with us. And she was okay with that. It was a win-win for everybody. And shortly thereafter, she stopped taking naps all together. <laughs> and it's been fine. That was my next question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was serious. She was, you know. <laughs> but we underestimate children sometimes. And I don't think that's fair. Has there ever been a time when Mom Amber had to catch herself because the response or the question from little Amber <laughs> was quick and sounded maybe kind of snarky or smart. My response, catching myself because my response to her was snarky? No, catching yourself because <laughs> you would have responded to the way our parents responded to us. Uh, <laughs> like maybe... Yeah, I I told her not to Step her shirt under her collar. Oh, oh yeah. You got to do that. Yeah, sorry. You got to do that. A few good times when they're little. Because she needs to know. I, you're not going to play me. No. That, no. Like, cut it out. So I've had to pinch her a couple good times. And you just got to shake them up. You know, you got to do that all the time. But, yeah, you have to kind of do that. Because they need to know that there's consequences to their behavior. And, um... My mama used to say, if there's two kids in this world, the kids you got to beat and the kids you can talk to. She's like, sister, I had to beat her. You, I could just look at you and you would crumble. And my oldest is the same way. <laughs> I think my youngest is more like, got to get with her a little bit. But um, we did that when we were trying to teach her and try to discipline her about things where she could potentially hurt herself. I, I don't like it when people abuse children just for them being children. Like, you got to give them space to play. If they're driving you crazy, take them outside. Let them run around. Like, go to the park. Kids, are, they will make bids for your attention. And that is annoying, but it's a sign also. And um, so knowing all of that, though, I do feel like kids will also try to play you because that's how they learn boundaries. And, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not – I don't shy away from that, from being the disciplinarian because, again, I'm raising an adult, and you will have manners, and you will respect your elders, and you will respect yourself, and you will be mindful of the things that you say. And, and that's that. <laughs> now, what about the parent who doesn't have that level of control and is still – finding themselves getting into arguments with their children? Um, to, to them, I would say that you have to recognize that that is your problem and not the child's. Because if your children have, now, don't get me wrong about what I'm about to say, because kids will drive you crazy, and that is for sure the truth. But especially when they are very small, as the adult, you have, by default, more control over your emotions. So if you let this little person get to you in such a way that you are raging mad beyond them doing something to hurt, harm themselves or another person, 
then you got to do that self-check and think, why am I so angry? Because this is a little person. They don't have the emotional capacity that you do. And so you should always be able to manage that and pause. If you do feel something coming up, is why? Why is that? Why am I so angry? And again, most often, and this is not true and it is not law what I'm saying, but most often it's because they on your nerves because you can't do what you really want to do. And so, you know, we, we, we kind of, kids get a bad rap in that regard. But again, sometimes, again, kids will, they will try to push your buttons and skirt the line. But that's when you, again, having more control and having the wherewithal to say, no, that's not how we do things in this house. And you let them know what goes down in that house. Hopefully, though, it's not something that's going to just solely instill the fear of God <laughs> in your children from you. I think that your your children, um, you know, I don't I don't want my children to be afraid of me. I want them to be afraid of the consequences that they that they face for doing things they're not supposed to do. This is, I saw a video the other day in where he was probably two or three, and he snuck into the kitchen got a cookie after his mom told him very specifically not to. Mm -hmm. But when his mom said, why did you get the cookie? He launched into what seemed to be a mini version of his father and where he kept saying, Linda, Linda, I, oh, we can't ever do anything in this house. We can't ever do anything in this house. And he's, you know, one, he's calling her by her first name. Two, every mm -hmm. time she starts to talk, he interrupts and, and, Bit, bit her, but what I found more interesting is that she bit, and she actually argued with him as if as if he was a grown person, and you knew she had lost it because towards the end of the video she said, "I am the mother, I am the adult," and it's like five minutes after this argument, if you that's the statement that you come to. <laughs> I've seen the thing and people loved it. And I, I mean, because he was cute and it was funny, but I'm like, that's not really funny though. Because right. You, you, the way I was raised, you don't call adults by their first name, mm -hmm. especially not your parents. So that's already a power dynamic that is lost in their home. And once children know that they can push their your button and get away with something and there not be any consequence, then it becomes a norm. And she laughed during that video. Like, no, no. And it was cute and it became viral and all of these things. But... <laughs> No, that, I mean, that, Because at three, it's cute, but at 13. Right, then you don't want to be mad when they don't respect you and they're gone all hours of the day and night. My mom used to say, I'm not your friend. I'm your mom. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. I understand. I want my children to like me, but it's okay if they don't, because they're just not, that's just not my job. My job. And then also, too, my approach to parenting is this. I, again, has to go back to my faith. These children really belong to God. My husband and I were just the vessels that were used to get them here. So then it is my job and his job as their parents to simply be their tour guides back to Christ. So we need to live lives that will make them want to choose him as their personal Lord and Savior. So then that way we can get up to heaven and be like, well, we came back to you because they wasn't ours to begin with in the first place. 
that's ultimately how I view parenting. We are just tour guides here to kind of guide them through this journey and through life and ultimately lead them, lead them to Christ and have that make them feel or have them feel like that is a good choice and a good decision. They may not make that decision, but that's what my job is, I feel, as a parent of faith to say, all right, we're yours. Just show me what to do. Show me how to lead and to guide your two that you used me to get here. Okay, that's family and friends. Difficult conversations at work. Whew. That's going to be a part two. <laughs> at work, I think... I think that it's okay to go into your own two-way job with your own boundaries. And I think a lot of times people don't look at a job as a mutually beneficial arrangement. Uh, most employers want you to be happy that you have working and that you work for them. But I don't believe that that is so. I think when you should, your, your approach to working should be, how is this job going to get me to wherever next I'm supposed to be? So not that you're always only solely looking ahead, but that you see how can this job help me advance in my life. Mm -hmm. And um, when you have that attitude, you look at it at a, from a different perspective. So how that falls in line with um, the way that you communicate with people, then that influences how you let people talk to you and how you let them treat you. Um, I had a job once where the uh, man, one of the managers in the department that I worked in, she liked to yell. She liked to raise her voice at people. And one day I went into her office uh, because there was an issue with the paperwork. And so I guess it was my turn to be yelled at. But what she didn't know was that she had picked the wrong one that day. And I politely said to her, I said, um, I'm right here. I'm standing right next to you and I am hearing Abel, which means that you know you to yell at me because I can hear you. And second, um, I'm not okay with how you talk to me just now. So I'm going to go back to my desk and I'm going to have a seat. And if you want to try again later, we can do that. Um, but I'm not going to continue this conversation with you um, talking to me that way. And that was that. I didn't have to yell. I didn't have to swivel my neck. I didn't have to raise my finger. I didn't have to pop off and get all crazy. I just stood firm on what my boundaries were. And she couldn't believe it. She was fumbling and stuttering and asking. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Keep going. Because, no, I'm not, that, I'm not the one. And uh, she never did that again because I established a boundary. And it, again, it wasn't me being rude. She couldn't, she could not go to my superior and say that I was rude to her or that I was being disrespectful. It was quite the contrary. I was standing firm in what my boundaries were. People are afraid to do that. They don't know how to do that really. And um, so what's the recipe? How does one do that, whether it's at work or out in public or in conversations with authority figures? Um, again, I think that kind of goes back to what you will and will not allow. I mean, this whole idea about you teaching people how to treat you is true in every circumstance. And so if you are a person who knows your worth, who knows what you are contributing to whatever dynamic you are in, then that influences how you are willing to be treated. Because once somebody does that to you once, then that's just kind of how it's going to be how did you set that tone and you set that pace and I think that kind of carrying that with you and it's not an arrogance it's not like well, I'm y'all ain't nothing in here I'm better than all y'all no it's not that it's just knowing that listen I'm a good employee I come to work on time I leave when I'm supposed to I take my breaks when I'm supposed to and I do good work 
you should be able to say all of those things to be utter, to be also um, to be able to command from people respect because that's a respect thing to me and um, I, I think what it looks like in plain clothes varies because again there's so many different circumstances whereby we could think of um, to say well what about if my supervisor does this or well, you know all of these things but there's a way no matter what it's just understanding the fun i mean the the basic printable principle i can't talk now the basic <laughs> principle there is how do i want to be treated here and what does that look like for me and if you're afraid that you're going to lose your job and that's not somewhere somewhere you need to be working anyway then you should want to work in a place where you feel valued as a person that should be a personal value for you when you are uh, traversing the waters of your career and um, I've always had really great experiences, aside from a few hiccups here and there, but while I was still working in corporate America and also when I worked in higher ed, I, you know, I, yeah, I played them games. <laughs> no, and I just, in the same way, you, I don't, I don't do other people like that. Right. Um, I did have this another one little situation where this lady um, and I just did not get along. And uh, she, it was myself and two other people in another office and she heard us talking about her, but she only heard my voice. And so she, I was the one she called out. And she took me, we sat in a conference room and she was like, I heard you down there talking about me. I can't believe that you would do that. And she was like, actually, you know what? I can't believe it, Amber, because you're so immature. And you did it. I said, oh, okay, this is perfect. Okay. I said, so that's my cue to stop this conversation because you don't really want to know what I think of you, nor the other two people think of you who are in that office. So to spare that you, that conversation, I'm going to stop this right here. I'm going to vacate the seat and I'm going to leave you here to think about what you want to do moving forward and that's exactly what i did i got up and i walked out and she brought me a scarf a week later because she felt so bad she was like i just that just was so out of character uh no you just got called out on your drama hire bad. coach amber for whatever your communication needs are. <laughs> she's a college professor where she teaches public speaking she's a public speaking coach to entrepreneurs and executives in corporate America. She has also, and this is the first time I've ever seen this, taught a group of ministers a class on communication. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> so, how can everyone find Amber? So say somebody sees this video and they're like, hey, I got a difficult subject. I need to learn how to communicate it. How do I find this lady? Well, I made it really easy for you to find me. And anyone who's watching, you can reach me. I'm on every social media platform at Talk to Amber. And uh, the hub of all that activity is talktoamber.com. So if you want to talk to me about something, you want to work through a little thing or two, or you have a presentation or something coming up and you want some coaching, visit me at talktoamber.com or you can just send me an email directly it's an email inbox that i check personally and it's amber at talktoamber.com i'd love to hear from you any friend of anita's is a friend of mine <laughs> um so definitely reach out i'm very active everywhere honestly i'm on facebook i'm on periscope that's where you'll find me the most frequently is on periscope at the time of this interview that could change um i'm also active on instagram so i'm a little bit of everywhere at talk to amber
<laughs> then you just love her? Coach A. She is the bee's knees. Anytime you need help with public speaking, you need to have a difficult conversation, look her up at talktoamber.com. Now, she and I would both like to get your feedback concerning this episode. What are the most difficult conversations you have ever had to have? Leave them in the comment section below. And consider joining my email list over at thatanitalive.com. It's where you get information that I only share with those that are on the list. You may even get to vote on who gets interviewed next over at thatanitalive.com. Be blessed. <music>